Now, suffering may not always be as a result of being tested. Sometimes suffering can be self-inflicted. We do it to ourselves. We're reading in Breeders' Digest, it said, While assembling their new waterbed, my sister Betty and her husband Everett realized that they would need a hose uh, to fill their waterbed. So Everett dashed to the hardware store and brought one back, and they attached it to the bed, ran it through the apartment to the uh, kitchen tap, and left to wait for the bed to fill up. About an hour later, they checked back to see how it was progressing, and it was at that moment that they discovered that Everett had bought a sprinkler hose. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you do it to yourself, right? Self-inflicted. Uh, another reader just carried this story. He said, a friend awoke one morning to find a puddle of water in the middle of, of there. Oh, and by the way, I had a picture, of, if you haven't seen these, uh, to uh, their king-size waterbed. You ever had one? I hate the things. Okay, I had one too. Anyway, uh, there's a puddle in the middle of the king-size waterbed. And to fix a puncture... He had to roll this heavy mattress outdoor and then fill it with more water, you know, trying to get it under pressure. So he filled it up as full as he could, looking for a leak, and the enormous bag of water was impossible to control. So it began to roll down the hill. He couldn't stop it, and it rolled down the hill. Finally, it landed in a clump of bushes and punctured holes all in it. He was absolutely disgusted, so he threw the whole thing out, the frame, everything. He threw it away, and the neck, and he went out and he bought a, a standard bed uh, to go in his bedroom. And the next morning, he awoke to find a puddle of water in the middle of the new bed. Upstairs bathroom had a leaky drain. Ha, got rid of a water bed. So, stress... Sometimes it's self-inflicted. But stress and tests and trials and suffering can be a good thing. It really can be a good thing. In fact, it's such a good thing that the cosmonauts proved it back uh, in the 80s. On December the 29th, 1987, a Soviet cosmonaut returned after 326 days in orbit, and he was fine. He was in good health. But that had not always been the case. Five years previous to that, uh, a man had been up for 211 days, and two cosmonauts, well, two had come back for 211 days. When they got back for a week, they could not walk at all. After 30 days, they were still in physical therapy. Their muscles had atrophied so bad, and their hearts had almost quit on them when they got back. They were dizzy, they couldn't stand, everything spinning. So as you see, these little suits, these suits that they're wearing are called penguin suits. They don't look that different. But they are filled with elastic bands that resist every single movement you make when you're in them. They're not really comfortable, but they force you to exert every single movement you make. That's saving their lives because there's no weightness. So the truth is, a little stress is good for you. If you're not stressed, if you don't have tests, if you don't have trials, you might just fall over and quit working. 
there's a Romanian pastor, Richard uh, Vornbrandt, uh, who was in prison for 14 years for preaching. And his, uh, when they captured him, they smashed four of his vertebrae and cut or burned him 18 different times. So he had 18 different holes in his body. But they couldn't defeat his faith. He said, alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I dance for joy every night. During uh, this time, though, he, was at, he asked a fellow prisoner that he had led to the Lord just before they were arrested. He said, have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Christ? And the guy said, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it another way. Not all stress is self-inflicted. Some is. Some is inflicted because of our faith. Some comes upon you because of God doing a work on you and the people of the world not appreciating it. I want to look at five forms of good suffering, okay? It's a strange thing to talk about, but it seemed fitting to me as we're in the mode of thanksgiving. I want to look at five forms of good suffering. The first one is following Christ's example in suffering. So we're going to talk about a type of suffering. This is what we would call suffering of solicitude, which is basically of care or concern for others. So basically that's the suffering, one of the forms of suffering of Christ. It's not really your suffering, it's suffering for someone else. It says in 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Some will, by the way. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. So this is all for their sake, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Not his sins, obviously. He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Talking about the dead. Verse 20, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waiting in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which few that is eight souls were saved through water. Verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. The point of all of this is we want to experience all these good types of suffering that Christ went through. One of the types of suffering following his example is this suffering of solicitude, this suffering for uh, out of care and out of concern for other people. So some of the troubles that you're going to have, some of the stresses you're going to have is a type of suffering, a mental anguish and physical anguish from time to time. That's not really because of you, not because of your troubles, but out of concern for other people. And it's a good thing to do. Paul says, the care that comes upon me for all the churches that he's concerned about. So that's one type of suffering that we face. Another one is 
we should have Christ's attitude in suffering that he talks about here, which is a suffering of strictness, of living a strict lifestyle. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, and by the way, that's not comfortable. People talk about, oh, it's easy to be a Christian. Well, it's not. It's not if you live the right way. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. So this is about your thinking. But he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, that's a, two meanings. But one of the meanings is, is that you suffered to cease from sin. The other one is, is that if you suffer in the flesh for sin, that you cease from sin. That's about Jesus. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So that's a type of suffering when we decide to cease to sin because it's uncomfortable to say no to sin. Verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles or the nations of the world. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. All of us have our own story to tell. It's not all the same, but whatever it was, we had to make a decision to give those things up. It was not easy. We had to cut some people off. Verse 4, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So you suffer not only because it's hard to give it up, but you suffer because people say bad things about you when you don't want to run with them anymore. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Won't get into that. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sin. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So that's part of the difficulty because anybody can be hospitable, but it's harder to do it without complaining. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is called a suffering of strictness or strictness of lifestyle. And it's difficult. And it is a form of suffering. And you are expected, if you're going to follow Christ, you need to have a, a suffering of solicitude that is concern for others. You need to have a suffering of strictness of your behavior. If you can't point to something, that you're trying to be more strict on yourself right now, you're taking grace way too for granted. You need to be working on yourself. Amen? Amen, Walls? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go to number three. And that is glory, glorify Christ's name in suffering. So this is a different type of suffering. This is a suffering strictly for slights and insults. Verse 12 says... Uh, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is, this is where we read a moment ago, but I want to point out a couple of things. Uh, Jack did a great job, but I just want to point out a couple of things, which is to try you, so it is a test, it is difficult, it's a trial, as though some strange thing happened to you. So sometimes we start thinking, why am I having these troubles? And we, we start thinking strange things are happening to us, but it's not. Verse 13, but rejoice 
to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If somebody ever has insulted you, either at church or by your family or in the world, because you were trying to do the right thing, you should praise God instead of complaining about it. Verse 14, if you are approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. That literally means happy, but it means more than that. It means blessed in the sense that God's going to bless you again. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That means God's spirit literally is resting on you when those things are happening. On their part, he is blasphemed. They make fun of uh, what we believe. But on your part, he is glorified. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. That's sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian. Now you need to understand the word Christian was not a positive term in that day. That's why it says it like this. The word Christian was used as a derogatory term. Uh, it, it comes from Antioch, and when they were named Christians, they were not saying that in a nice way. It was meant to say, oh, you're just one of those Christ followers. That's the way they used it. And so the, it's hard for us to understand that because it's an honorable term now. But for them at the time, it was used as a mocking term. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. That's the reason for the word don't be ashamed about it. Uh, but let him glorify God in this matter. Verse 17, uh, and, the, and that's the slight we're talking about here. Mainly it's, it's ugly comments made to our face or behind our back. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will, it, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now I want to talk to you a little bit about this word scarcely in the next verse. Because I think a lot of people don't quite grasp what it's being said here. And it sounds like one thing and it kind of means another thing. So let me, because you have to go back and read the original, which is Proverbs 11 and verse 31, which is basically what it's referring to. And read passages like Acts 14 verse 22. When it says, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So what that sounds like is that uh, righteous people are just barely going to go to heaven almost like almost none of them because it uses the word scarcely and the way I was raised using that word scarcely meant that there's almost none of them uh, that's not really what this means it's the word hard or difficult and it's not referring to the idea that that uh, hardly any of them are going to be saved it is the idea that it's difficult life is tough And there are no recompenses often in this world that bless you, but rather that living the Christian life is quite difficult. And it can be, and if you think it can be difficult for us, remember that the the world reaps the whirlwind. And so if you think your life is hard and the righteous have this hardness, you have no idea how hard it can be out there. And that's the main point of what's being said here. But it doesn't come across very clear. Not in my King Jesus. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely or hardly saved because of hardship, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And that means that they have it even harder in many respects. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The idea is, though, that it ends up glorifying Christ's name in suffering if we're suffering through slights 
because trying to stand up for the name of Christ. All right, the next way we can suffer is suffering in this way, that we serve Christ's flock, and that's a form of suffering within and of itself. Now, we can all do this, but in this text, it's talking specifically about the elders. So I'm kind of thrilled that Dwight made that comment earlier. If you read verses 1 through 6, it's a suffering of service. And by the way, it's not easy to serve. He mentioned that sometimes they look haggard and down because it's actually hard to be an elder. It's not easy to be a deacon. They're hard to find sometimes, but it's not easy to be a deacon. It's not easy to be a Bible class teacher. It's not easy to be anything that puts you in front of people because there's always somebody got something that they think you did wrong. I don't care who you are. If you're in front of people, they think you did it wrong. So elders are treated that way on a regular basis. You may think that elders are held in high esteem by all the brethren. That is not true. Not in my experience. I'd say a certain percentage have always thought that they were smarter than the elders. I've never been in a church that there wasn't a certain percentage that thought the elders were cuckoo. And that exists here. Uh, Verse 1, the elders who are among you I exhort, and I, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock. Jesus did that, by the way. He was the great shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Folks, that's kind of the hardest thing in the world to do. I don't know if you've really thought about what it just told us to do. But for an elder to lead without looking like you're bossing. Right? You try it on sometime. To lead a church in a certain direction without looking like you're trying to just boss everybody around. And like you know more than everybody else. It's really hard. And then you try to be examples. And the truth is, they're just people too. They're not perfect. They're just people too. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There is a special reward apparently for being an elder. And uh, we should be envious of it. I suspect it's going to be substantial. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is that suggesting? Well, it's suggesting that young people might have a bigger problem with this than the older people because they haven't lived enough life yet. They're second guessing everything that the elders are deciding. Verse 6, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Specifically stated, more to those who would object to them than it is to that ones who are actually doing it, obviously. All right, so that's a suffering, literally a suffering of service. It is difficult. They would like to be home sometimes when they're not able to be. They, you, you get to sleep in Sunday afternoon when they often don't get to. It's, it's a difficulty, and it can be a type of suffering of when your family's being kind of run down behind your back. Number five, the last one, is... Trust Christ's grace in suffering. So this, this is a different type of suffering. This is just suffering from the struggles of life. And yes, the struggles of life can truly be a form of suffering. It says in verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You have cares, you have struggles, right? You, everyone has struggles. 
I mean, every one of us is going to get sick. Sooner or later, we're going to die. Every one of us is going to have financial setbacks. Every one of us are going to have problems within our families and friends. Every one of us are going to have difficulties. We're going to have problems at work. Somebody's going to say something. Well, that happens to everybody who's a Christian, just like everybody else. But when you're a Christian, it's a test because if you're not a Christian, you don't equate anything with it. But as a Christian, you start saying, why am I suffering like this? Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, looking for a person to take down. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, so it's mentioning this as sufferings, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we are all facing these kind of sufferings that are struggles to put one foot in front of the other. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So just the struggle of trying to do the right thing and yet life turning against you. So some of that is hard to do. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So whether you know it or not, even all of that, God's grace is covering you. That's the reason trust God's grace in suffering. So you're struggling to do the right thing. You're failing a lot. That's a form of suffering. You still need to trust God's grace. So she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so ends the letter. Uh, So what we've looked at is what you see in front of you there. But I want to add to it this. So basically what we've looked at is following Christ's example in suffering is a suffering, a solicitude for others, care for others. Have Christ's attitude in suffering, which is a Suffering of strictness, maintaining the attitude, I'm going to do the right thing, is difficult. And then there's glorifying Christ's name in suffering, which is the suffering of slights for the name of Christ. Then there's serving Christ's flock in suffering, which is the suffering of service. The difficulties of getting up early or going to bed late or having somebody constantly bugging you in the hallway or in some around the building when you'd like to go sit down with your family as well. And trusting Christ's grace in suffering and that suffering of just general uh, struggles in this world. So those are the types of struggles that we have and they're types of suffering. So we're entering into Thanksgiving. You can have an attitude or you can actually rejoice because there's going to be suffering. There's no way around it. You're going to suffer. There must be suffering. But I want to tell you, woe to those whose suffering comes. That includes the devil himself. And to those who would cause you trouble, woe to them as well. But in a life of much suffering, uh, a life of sorrows, a life acquainted with grief, there's also the promise of eternal life and glory. And that was Jesus. He went through all the things you and I go through. And through all of our suffering as people of faith, we are not alone. And we have this one avenue that adds to it and takes away the brunt of these things. And that's prayer. We can ask for help in time of trouble. And God is always listening. Um,
That fellow right there is, you might cannot read that up there. I'm pretty sure you can't. That's Joseph Scriven. He was born in 1819 through uh, pretty prosperous parents in Bainbridge County, Down, Ireland. Uh, he graduated with a degree from Trinity College in Dublin in 1842. But he knew suffering. Let me give you a few examples. His fiance accidentally drowned in 1843. He just graduated the night before they were to be married. She drowned. He knew suffering in 1845 at the age of 25. He left his native country and he migrated to Canada. And the reason for leaving his country seemed to be the influence of what was called the Plymouth Brethren. And his life, as a result, his parents rejected him because he wanted to be a part of that group. He knew another type of suffering. In 1855, while staying in Bedwell, Ontario, north of Port Hope, he received news from Ireland that his mother was horribly ill and was about to die. So he wrote her a poem called Pray Without Ceasing. I'll come back to that in a minute. And she did receive it before she passed. And then he knew another type of suffering. In 1857, he moved near to what's called Port Hope, Ontario, where he fell in love again and was due to be married. Believe it or not, in August 1860, his fiancée, fiancé, excuse me, that's Southern, uh, suddenly fell ill of pneumonia and died. No, he's not a serial killer. Uh, she died of pneumonia. And he knew suffering again, just before they were to be married. He knew suffering again. He then devoted the rest of his life to tutoring and preaching and helping others. And he basically lived with almost nothing. And then he knew suffering again. Scriven drowned in 1886 at the age of 66. So it was just trouble upon trouble most of his life. He knew suffering. Pray Without Ceasing was turned into a song. I don't know what number it is, but it's in your book. Y'all don't have your books in the laugh anyway, so I decided not to turn to it anyway. But it was turned to a song by Charles Crozant Converse, and it was given a different name. And Scriven did not know that this poem he'd written for his mother when she was about to die would be in the newspapers, and then it would be in the songbooks, and then it would travel around the world as millions of Christians embraced it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So we will have suffering in this world. Be grateful this week if you're not going through much of it. But if you are, look that there are blessings in it and that we actually need it, a little bit of this. It's actually good for us and it produces an example to people around us and we get to follow Christ in the way that we're supposed to live. Grace, heaven, eternal life is undeserved, but if we suffer a little bit before we get there, we should only rejoice that we got to share a little bit 
and what Christ had to go through. If you're here tonight and you haven't owned Christ yet, we want to give you that opportunity. If you want to repent of your sins, confess the name of Christ and be baptized tonight, we'll get that done tonight. Even if the water is cold, I don't even know the state of the water tonight. We'll get it done. If you need to do that or you need to rededicate, whatever you need, we want to help you. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing? Standing on the-